For those of you who know me, um, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, um, I'm Dustin Warford. I'm the children's minister here at Creekside. So if you haven't seen me, oh, thank you again. <laughs> if you haven't seen me here in this room, I'm normally out at the check-in table. I'm in that classroom, in the fourth and fifth grade classroom, running around. There's usually kids chasing me with, I call them weapons, they call them balls and bats, but you know, they, they chase me around and I have a lot of fun with the kids. Just love what I do here with the kids. And so that's usually where I am on a Sunday morning. And uh, I've been at Creekside almost my whole life. My grandpa was actually the pastor here before Pastor Terry. And when he retired, Pastor Terry came. Uh, so I've got to grow up underneath Pastor Terry's leadership here. And so, you know, I've, I've technically I've been here longer than Pastor Terry. It's, it's about time I got up here to say something about it. But, you know, I'm, I'm glad I got them. <laughs> I love Terry. And uh, I love that he's given me the opportunity this morning to come and share with you um, what God's put on my heart as we go through the Bible series. Now, I love kids, and I bet a lot of us can really connect with kids. Now, I know not everyone here works in children's ministry, or not everyone here, that's not your calling to go work with kids. But I feel like a lot of us can relate with kids. Uh, we tell stories about when we were young, and the things we did as kids, and just when we hear stories about kids, that it can resonate in our heart. I think all of us, a part of all of us, can really connect with the heart of a child, and what a child can do. A child's smile can make us smile. A child's tears can bring us down. And I was on the, um, on the internet looking at news stuff, and when you hear things on the news, you'd be surprised how many stories that are shared and swapped with each other on the news are stories where a kid is the central character. Just this week, did anyone here see the story about Dylan, the six-year-old who raised money? That was a powerful story. So I'm, I'm cruising through, and it says, six-year-old raises $92,000. And I was like, I need to get in on his business. That is awesome. But so I read the story, and Dylan, six years old, has a friend in kindergarten, his best friend, who is diagnosed with a rare liver disease, an incurable rare liver disease. And so Dylan sets forth, he wants to raise money for his friend so his family can, so they can get treatment and they can uh, help look for medical treatment to cure this disease. So Dylan writes a story called Chocolate Bar. And Chocolate Bar, if you read through this story, and it's, it, it's his story, it's his word for awesome. Whenever something is awesome, that's Chocolate Bar. That's what Dylan says in this story. So Whole Foods heard about Dylan's story, and they started donating Chocolate Bars to anyone who bought a book. Well, time went on, and Dylan raised $92,000 for his friend. And when they asked Dylan, they, they, he was, there was a video, really cool video clip of him, they said, what are you going to do now? He says, well, I think I'm going to write a series. Six years old. And they said, what do you want to do with that series? And he says, I think I can raise money to cure many diseases. And it's just like, oh my God, yeah, that's just, that gets to your heart. Just this, this little boy is already saying, I want to change the world. I want to raise money and change the world. And the difference is, you know, there's, there's lots of people who raise money and you know, lots of fundraisers for this disease and that disease. But when you hear about a little child doing it, that's when it really, really gets you. This, the, the child is powerful. Now, working in kids, I know that kids always connect better when I use a kid as a central character of our story, too. I can talk about adults, but when I bring it down to this story is about a child, all the kids volunteer, they want to be on stage, they want to be that kid because they can connect with that kid. Now, another story, nearly 100 years ago, a little boy in England received a stuffed animal. Now, his dad was a famous playwright and writer, and he started seeing his boy play with this animal, so he started writing stories of his boy and his stuffed teddy bear and all the other animals and things in his, in his uh, bedroom. He started writing stories about it. Now, this kid is a famous kid that we all know. Christopher Robin. And his teddy bear, Winnie the Pooh. 
Now, again, the story of a kid and his adventures has taken off. Over 50 languages, movies, songs. Disneyland has an attraction for Winnie the Pooh. It's just the story of a child and his stuffed animals that so many people get drawn to. So there's power with kids. Now, every one of us in here, we may not have a Winnie the Pooh. We may not have, you know, we may not have raised $92,000, but we all have a story like these kids have. Every one of us has a story. Um, Some stories are dramas. Some stories can be adventures. Um, My story, I feel like, is a a comedy at times with what happens to me. And and this this really came to me when I was was sitting at home, and uh, me and Stephanie, my wife, uh, we, had, we read a book called The Five Love Languages, and it talks about, you know, some of you may have read it, it talks about all the different ways that you and your spouse can really tell each other that I love you in different ways, whether it's, um, excuse me, whether it's time with your, with, uh, quality time, physical touch, words of affirmation. Well, our, our love language we found was not in this book. <laughs> Except for gifts, she loves gifts. Um, our love language is sarcasm. <laughs> not in the book. But, but we're very sarcastic with each other, and we love making each other laugh with our comments. And we, we actually know that if one of us gives someone a sarcastic comment and the other one doesn't laugh and respond, we know something's wrong. It's, it's just how we, how we connect. So my, sister, my little sister, Glory, is staying at our house one day, and she spent the night, and in the morning we're making breakfast just being ourselves, and I look over, and my sister is busting up laughing. I'm like, what's going on? She goes, I'm watching a sitcom right now. <laughs> and so I knew, it's like, all right, God, you've given me a comedy. I can roll with that. The story we're going to hear about today, our stories are all much part of a bigger story. And the story we're going to hear about today is definitely not a comedy, but it is a drama. And I know we use the word epic a lot, so I'm going to say it. It's an epic drama that we're going to hear today. Um, All of our stories, though, are part of this much bigger story, all found in this book. From the beginning of Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation, our stories are here. Something we can pull from our lives, it's all found in here. And today's story follows that of probably guessed it, a child, a young boy. We're going to talk about his dad and him, though, and how his story was not a comedy. Now, last week, uh, Pastor Christopher talked about Adam and Eve. And after Adam and Eve, there was a big flood, and some people messed up, and God started over. But the first point I want to make with you guys is God always keeps his promises. Nowhere in Scripture, nowhere, anywhere you go, will you ever find God making a promise and then breaking it. He always sticks through and he always keeps his promises. So when Adam and Eve messed up, Pastor Christopher talked about how God came and, and helped them through their situation. He covered their sin. When the world was messing up, um, God promised Noah and his family that they would be okay. and He provided the ark and they were okay. Well, some time goes on and we come to another man in our story in Genesis named Abraham. Now, Abraham was a great man of faith. We talk about, if you know the story of Abraham, We talk when we refer to him as Abraham is the father of our faith because of a test that God put him through, which we're going to talk about today. But the great thing is God makes a promise to Abraham at probably not the best point in Abraham's life. So Abraham is now 75 years old. And so if you open, if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 through 4. Excuse me. So, Abraham's 75 years old, and God tells him this. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he sent out for Haran. 
75, and now you're being told you're going to have a great nation. That's probably not the time where we start thinking about starting a family, 75 years old. But God makes his promise to Abraham. Now, earlier in Genesis, some people were living to be 900, 950. The oldest was 969. But right at the flood, God said, I'm limiting man to 120 years. So if you know your lifespan is 120, and at 75, God says, you're going to have a lot of kids. Wow. Don't know if that's a blessing or a curse at this point, right? You know what's going to happen. But it says that Abraham believed him. Now, if we skip ahead a little bit, we find out where Abraham makes his first mistake. See, Abraham and Sarah, God tells them it's time for them to move. He doesn't exactly tell them where, but he says, all right, it's time for you guys to start your journey to a new home. So they start going, and they find it. But tragedy hits that home, and they start going through this famine. There's no food for anybody in this home. So they decide, all right, we're going to go into Egypt now, and we're going to wait there because there's food in Egypt, and we can wait in Egypt. But Abraham gets scared. You see, when he gets to Egypt, he knows that Pharaoh's in Egypt. And Abraham knows that his wife is hot. It's, it's right here. Abraham knows his wife is, is she's beautiful. And when Pharaoh sees her, Pharaoh's going to want her to be his wife. But in order for Pharaoh to do that, he would have to kill Abraham. So Abraham says, all right, here's what we're going to do. Sarah, tell everyone that you're my sister. I'm going to tell everyone you're my sister. That way, if this happens, Pharaoh's not going to kill me. He'll take you. We'll, you know, we'll figure this out, but I'm not going to die in this. That's Abraham's first big mistake right there. You see, God gave Abraham this promise. God says, I promise you, Abraham, you're going to be this great nation. You're going to have so many kids. And then Abraham fears, oh, I've got to lie to save my life. It's right there. It's like that's the first thing of doubt we get when God makes this promise to Abraham. Now, while they're in Egypt, Pharaoh does see Sarah, and Pharaoh does say, I want you. And Pharaoh asks, find, finds out that that's his sister, or that that's Abraham's sister, so he takes her. But God steps in, and before Pharaoh can touch Sarah, before they can consummate anything, God delivers Sarah from Pharaoh. But in the middle of that, uh, Egypt finds out that Abraham is now a liar. So his, his lie to save his life gets caught up with him, and he actually has to leave Egypt. And so right there you see, man, Abraham didn't trust God's promise right away. And if you put yourself in Abraham's shoes, that's not an easy promise to follow. You know, you're getting, you're, you're getting old, you're going to have kids, you're in a situation where your life is at danger, so he lies to save his life, and God saves him, but God has to say, Abraham, that was not my, you've you, you got to trust me. You've got to stick with my promise here. Now, if you jump ahead to chapter 15, this is 10 years later, chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. You'll see why I'm holding this around in a second, so you don't get nervous or anything. It says, Abraham went through some more adventures in his life, and it says this, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, <laughs> you know, when something says, starts with but, you know, it's like, oh no, it's going to happen. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one will, who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my house will be my heir. When the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So God right here reiterates his promise to Abraham. And Abraham doubts him. 
right there, you know, even at their adventure in Egypt where God still pulled them out and said, you're still going to be okay, God says, all right, Abraham, here's my promise for you. You're still going to have a great nation. And Abraham says, sorry, God, I already passed your blessing on to this guy. He's my servant. You haven't given me kids. It's going to be him. And God has to say, no, that's not my promise. My promise is for you. My promise is that you're going to be a great nation. Look up at the stars. This is for you. And then it says, Abraham does what? He believes. I was waiting for a little response. Sorry, I'll try again. I'll try again later on another point. But Abraham believes God. Well, Abraham believes God, but one short chapter later, he does it again. Abraham still takes matters into his own hands because Sarah isn't pregnant. So with Sarah's insistence, she tells him, she says, all right, Abraham, God, I'm not getting pregnant. This still isn't working. So I think you should take another wife, our maidservant Hagar. Sleep with her, have a child. Abraham, I guess, does what a loving husband should and listens to his wife. <laughs> but he, he takes another wife, and he does have a child. But if you keep reading through that chapter of that story, there's a lot of strife and a lot of conflict happens because of what Abraham did. Because God comes in again and says, all right, Abraham, again, I'm going to bless, they had a son, his name was Ishmael. I'm going to bless Ishmael because, yes, he's your son. But this is still not the promise. The promise is going to be of your flesh and blood. You and Sarah, this is for you. You've got to trust me. And Abraham again says, all right, I'll trust God again. Now, for us, have you guys ever gotten a promise from God that, man, you feel like you have to wait for? You just got to wait. You just got to wait. And it is not easy to wait. Now, I like to get things now. Um, I, I, I just love instant results, instant things. Love to get stuff now. And Abraham now has been waiting for many, many years. <clears throat> but Abraham's promise was for a, for a son. In our lives, we can receive promises for many different things. Maybe life is just throwing you a curveball right now. Maybe we have our jobs, and our jobs are not going the way that we thought it should be. Maybe there's sickness in our life, and we want God to heal it. And, and maybe through your prayer life, through your reading and your, your faithfulness to God, you hear that answer. You hear, hey, stick with it. Things are going to be okay. But that was like six years ago and you're still going through something. Well, that, that's how Abraham was feeling. This was years ago, and God's promise still hadn't come forth, and he still had to stay faithful. For us, it is so hard to stay faithful when a promise is made and years go by because we want stuff now. You know, when God says, I'm going to heal that, and you're like, all right, I trust that God's going to heal it, and then two years go by, you're like, well, I'm still suffering from this. I don't know what's going on. But that's us doubting. That's not God doubting his promise. That's us doubting. And that was, that's what Abraham was struggling with through this whole thing with Isaac, his son that was about to come. Now, finally, in chapter 21, this is 25 years after God's initial promise to Abraham. He is 100 years old. He has his first of the kids that are going to be more numerous than the stars. 100 years old, they have their son. God's promise came to fruition. It really did come. But it was not on Abraham's timing. And that's where we can still get tangled up today. When God makes a promise or we want something, we make sure it's, we, we want our timing to be number one. We want to be like, all right, God, I know you promised that, and I could really use it right now. Right now, right now. Not tomorrow, because I need this now. But God said, no, this is going to be my timing. You see, Abraham having his kid at 75 in, in those times, yes, it was, if he, if he was 75, it probably would have been something like, oh, yeah, that's, that's incredible. That's, you know, you're... You're really old, but you're having a kid. But the fact that he was 100, I think there's no way now anyone could doubt that's God. <laughs> that is definitely God giving you this kid. You're 100 years old. See, God made his promise come through 
when it was obvious it was him fulfilling his promise. Not us fulfilling a promise, but God fulfilling his promise. We're the ones that mess up. And like I said, we want things faster now. Um, on TV all the time, you see um, sign up for this cell phone because you don't get streamlined on your internet and you get faster internet. Sign up for this internet provider because it's faster. We want faster computers, faster cards. We want DMV lines to move just a little bit. We want them to move. We just want fast. That's always what we want, fast. And God says, you know, maybe my timing's not fast. Your timing is fast. You have to wait for me. But the great thing I see about God giving his promise with uh, Abraham here is Abraham messed up. Abraham did try to take things into his own hands, but despite Abraham's pulling it into his own hands, despite Abraham's insistence on, I got to do this now, I'm, I, I don't know if this is going to happen, God, okay, I messed up, but then God delivered. Despite the doubts, despite the messing up, God didn't break his promise. God stuck through on his promise anyway. There's nothing we can do to make God go back on his word. And we mess up quite a bit. Uh, when, I, when I talk to the kids, it's funny how many of the boys don't raise their hands, but I'll say, you know, how many of you guys have sinned? And some of the boys are like, nope. <laughs> nope. And I have to tell them, well, you just did. Thanks. So you <laughs> prove my point. But God always keeps his word. He doesn't back out. He doesn't let our actions mess up his will. All of that backstory leading up to this. <sighs> Isaac is now a small boy, young man, all it says in Scripture is some time had passed and Abraham was praying. God asked him to do something that I, I know I probably couldn't have done. But God says, this is what I want you to do. Um, Genesis chapter 22. And this is a long chunk of Scripture. Just stick with me. But this is what God tells Abraham to do. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Not an easy task. This was a promise 25 years in the making. This was a promise that Abraham had gone through a roller coaster of events to get to, and God says, okay, it's time to give him back. So early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, took with him two of his servants and his only son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back for you. Abraham took the wood from the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he carried himself the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, or said to Abraham, father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? So Isaac's getting curious now. What's going on? He's not, a, he's not just a small boy anymore. He's a young man. What's going on? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged it on the wood, and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. It's freeze right there. That's a scary image right there. His son's on the altar, and Abraham just has that knife up, and he's, he's ready to do what God said. Now, the difference between Abraham's story here and Abraham's story then is Abraham isn't doubting this time. Abraham isn't saying, God, why are you making me do this? God, I don't know why I have to do this. This is a promise you made for me. I think I'm going to go back to Egypt. You know, that thing with Pharaoh wasn't so bad after all. We'll go stay over there. He doesn't say any of that. He just does. He just goes to do it. 
verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up there in the thicket and he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called out to Abraham a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations of the earth will be blessed because you obeyed me. Wow. Abraham is put to the ultimate test. This promise, like I said, was 25 years in the making. 25 years of just waiting and ups and downs, and it's here, and God says, time to take your son, time to give him back. When, when I think of my daughter, and she's, she's just one, I, I, I think, and I'm, I'm reading this story, you know, that part of me actually got brought to tears, like, God, I hope you never ask me anything of that magnitude, because I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Forget it. But Abraham didn't even question. He took his son, and he went to do what God said. Now, this depiction that we see of, of Abraham and Isaac, it depicted Isaac as, as a boy. And, and I, as I was reading and studying, I, I like to think Isaac was a little bit older based on what some of the verses say, that he carried all the wood for the sacrifice. And that it was, it was a long journey up that mountain. It was a three-day journey. And I don't think, you know, Abraham at over 110 at probably at this point is going to be carrying all that wood on this journey without a strapping young man with him <laughs> to help him make this trek. But in any case, uh, it's clear. There's a lot Isaac didn't understand on this journey. He starts questioning his dad on the way up. You know, where's the lamb? Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide a sacrifice. So much was uncertain for him, and the same is true for you and me. We are all on a journey right now, and we don't know what's going to happen. We're all on an uncertain journey. But there is one thing for sure, what Isaac faced. It's something that we're all going to face. Our physical death is certain. It's something that none of us can outrun, none of us can outlive, none of us can get past it. Our physical death is something that's going to come. Um, if you've ever been here for one of Pastor Terry's memorial services, and we had quite a few of them last year, there's been a line that, uh, that he says that when, when we're getting ready for it, you know, some of us ask, well, I wonder how many times Pastor's going to say it now because it's a point that he drives home. But he says, everyone has an expiration date. It's a fact of life. The, the, more, the fatality rate on earth is 100%. Nobody's exempt from it. And now, at this point right here, Ecclesiastes 9.12 says, no man knows when his hour will come. All we know is it's going to happen at some point. It, it's going to happen, but in this story, Isaac, put yourself in his shoes. He's walking up this mountain. His dad has rope, torch, the knife. He's got all the wood. And his dad says, God's going to provide a sacrifice. At some point, Isaac, whether it was right at the binding or maybe a little bit before, Isaac knew that his death was coming. It had, to have, it had to have hit in his mind that it was coming up at that moment. A frightful moment. Now, in this clip, um, Abraham grabbed him, and Isaac tried to resist a little bit. He said, Father, what are you doing? And Abraham said a line which I thought was really great in this clip. He says, we have to trust God. And then something, something shifts right there, if, if you pay attention. Isaac doesn't resist much anymore. He sits there, and the Scripture says that Abraham tied him up and laid him on that altar. 
It doesn't say he tied him to the altar. It says he laid him on that altar. Now, freeze for a second. If, if, like I said, I work with kids. I wouldn't even need the knife. If I told any one of the kids over there, hey, come with me real quick. They know me well enough to know they're not coming. Maybe a couple of the boys <laughs> would, would come, but, but a lot of kids would be like, no, I mean, and I've, you know, at camp, there was a fun video of me actually tying a kid to a tree, you know, all wrapped up and everything. And, and so, so kids know, you know, they're, they're not dumb. You know, if I was holding that, they wouldn't come to me. Now, let alone, we'll say, um, any of the teens here. You know, I'm, I'm getting to know the teens really well here. Some of them are working in children's ministry, too. If I grab both of these to so the teens said, hey, we're going to go up for a sacrifice. Let's do this. Uh, this yeah, this table's like, nope, we're not going. You're not going. But I think in this story, we see that, of course, Abraham had amazing faith to do what God asked him. But we also see Isaac had some pretty incredible faith. He was scared, but he stayed on that altar. Now, I'm willing to bet that this 10, 12, 18-year-old young man versus this 110, 120-year-old man, if they got into a real quick tussle and a, a run, so you can get down the mountain the fastest to get away, I'm willing to bet the younger one's going to win. It's, it's, you know, just, I was at Los Hunas on Wednesday. I do a school club there, and there's this little boy, uh, Jahim, great kid, fast basket and we're playing steal the bacon and he is smoking everybody in this game like when we call his number it's not even close so i decide and my wonderful athleticism i'm gonna pair up against shaheem this kid's beating everybody so so my my assistant she called the number and we both pulled for that of course he got there way before i did i was like man this kid is fast and just i caught him at the very very end and of course i'm like wow that was hard he's like ha 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 runs back to his line i'm like i can't believe you're not it's not the slight bit winded at all about that that was a good distance to run, too. And so just for kicks, she called our number multiple times. And although I, I got to him every time, it, it took a little bit more effort every time to catch up to Jahim because this kid was fast. And that's a 9-year-old and a 28-year-old. Think of now that 15-, 16-year-old, 120-year-old. But Isaac didn't run. He stayed there with his dad. I think Isaac was mirroring his father's faith. See, Abraham probably told Isaac a lot of stories about him and why he was so special. It took 25 years for him to come. So Isaac probably knew Abraham's stories of how he came to be. And now there comes this point where Abraham tells him, we have to trust God. Now, if I'm bound up and I'm laying on that altar, I'm looking down at the bottom of that hill, and I'm thinking it looks really good right now. And Isaac wasn't tied to the altar. I probably would have rolled off the altar kicking and screaming, Mom, Dad's being mean. I'm out of here. And Isaac didn't do it. He trusted his dad. He, we have a great visual of a father reflecting his fa- of a son reflecting his father's faith in the story through Isaac. His physical death at this point was certain in his eyes. Now, faith like that is hard to comprehend. Um, faith is easy when life is easy. It's really easy to be like, all right, I'm going to go to church this morning. We're going to sing. I got my coffee. Things are great. I'm working. Bills are paid. The wife is not mad at me. You know, things are just great right now. And that's when faith is easy. But what about when you get that phone call saying, hey, your house is getting foreclosed on? What about when you get that phone call saying, hey, we have to lay people off this week and you didn't make the cut. Sorry, we have to let you go. How hard is it to say, all right, God, I'm still going to do everything that you want me to do and not try to take things into your own hands? That's when faith gets really, really hard. I think it's called faith for a reason. It's, it's not faith if it's easy. It's faith when, when it gets really, really hard and you decide you're going to stick with it. 
You're going to do what needs to be done to follow God first because his promise may not be our promise, may not be what we want, but his promise and his timing is the one that always comes to fruition. That's when our faith gets tested. Abraham had the ultimate test of faith, and Isaac had to trust his dad, was trusting his heavenly father as well. Luckily for Isaac, though, um, our story's not over because my salvation has been provided. Just like Isaac was sitting on that, or laying on that altar, Abraham raised that knife. Remember, he brought it up. Ab- Isaac is there, probably scared, uncertain what's going on. Abraham raised it, and then the angel of the Lord spoke up and said, don't you lay a hand on that boy. Don't you do it. We've seen your faith. And there was, off in the, bush, in the bushes, there was a ram. There was a sacrifice. There was a substitute for Isaac. You see, Isaac's story is so much like ours. Imagine the relief Isaac must have had when that ram came forth, when that ram was there and God said, you don't need to do this because I provided for you and your son. Abraham messed up in the past. He doubted God. And I wonder if this whole test was because of his doubts in the past, that God said there's sin, that that there has to be an atonement for sin. There has to be an atonement. And we, we learn in the Bible that the wages of sin is death. And God said, all right, I want you to give me your boy. But Abraham's faith, God says, I see your faith and I'm giving you a substitute. For all of us, we have the same story as Isaac. We can be there so entangled in our sins, so tied up that we don't know exactly how to get out of it. We can be walking up that mountain with the, carrying our own wood for our own sacrifice. We think, man, I'm so entangled in this. I can't get out. There's no way for me to get this sin out because it's just so deep. But God says, you know what? I'm right here with you. And when you lay out your altar and you lay on those sticks and those rocks, God says, hey, you get off. Jesus is right there. Jesus is already laying on that altar for you. It's not our blood that gets spilled because of our sin. It's his. Just like Isaac had that lamb, Jesus is our lamb. He already came for our sins. There's nothing we can, nothing we can do to say, all right, I, I want to take this out of me. Jesus says, I already did it. It's not your physical death that's going to be atoned for your sins. It's mine. And his physical death allowed us to have our eternal life. <clears throat> put your put your. Um, your lives in Isaac's shoes one more time. His story is powerful, and his dad is the father of our faith. But man, his faith is so amazing. Do you think when he got off that altar, he was like, oh, that was fun, dad. Let's do this again sometime. Probably not. But if you read Isaac's story, you see that his faith does grow, and he keeps following God with his life. And I believe because he trusted his dad, and his dad was following his faith in God as well. His story points us directly to what Jesus has already done for us. All of us has a story. They may read different commas, dramedies. Maybe there's tragedy or adventure, but they all have the same point. Jesus is in our story. Jesus is the center of our story. Jesus paid it all for us, didn't he? He sure did. Isaac is just like each and every one of us, no matter how our story reads. Um, Jesus paid for our sins. Uh, The lamb was there for Isaac. The lamb has already come for us. Amen, everybody? Father, I thank you so much for today and this chance that, that we have to come together and, and, and celebrate, celebrate you and what you've done for us, God. Um, I, I thank you for your promises for us. Um, no matter how long they take, no matter how hard it may feel that we have to, to trust and go, God, you always keep your promises. You already paid for our sins, God, and through you we have that eternal life. I thank you for the atonement you paid for each and every one of us, God. We thank you, we love you, and we give you all the praise. And everybody said... Amen.